Amen. Join me in prayer. Father, you're the fount of all blessing. All blessings come from you, through you, because of you, in you. And we pray that you attune our hearts to sing your grace, to live your grace, to believe your grace, to embrace your grace. We pray this morning, Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And satisfy us with your unfailing love. Satisfy us with who you are and who you've promised to be for us in the person and work of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We open your word with that joyful anticipation. We pray you'd speak to us and change us and mold us and shape us. Give us your perspective. We pray you'd do that in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Church family, so good to see you this morning. So encouraging to be here and worship with you. We often don't talk about it, but one of the reasons we sing together, one of the reasons we gather together is to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this thing called following Jesus, that we do this together, we do this in the context of God's people, and just hearing you sing these songs is such an encouragement, such a refreshment to my soul, and it's a reminder that God's not done with us yet. He is still beautifying, purifying His bride. I'm so thankful for you, church family. Grab a Bible. And turn to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. So just two more sermons in Ecclesiastes, including this morning. And a bunch of people I thought were going to say, hallelujah right there. The end is in sight. Bring a, bring a friend next Sunday, seriously, to hear the conclusion to this clear-eyed, strange but refreshing book. God willing, it will not be a chasing after the wind. This morning, we'll be reading Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 8. 11, 1 through 12, 8. Listen as I read God's word over us. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. 
Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of, the bir- of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the triune God. May Father, Son, and Spirit engrave its truth on our hearts. Let me start with a question for you. With what perspective do you live your life? With what perspective do you live your life? Perspective. Perspective is the way you see things. Your perspective is your point of view. Obviously, we all operate from a variety of perspectives that have have been taught to us, that we've learned throughout our lives. And often, our perspective is wrong or limited or even sinful. And so God's Word exists to help us have a true and right perspective of this life. God's Word teaches us not just how to live, but how to see, so that we might live well for the glory of God. And the particular perspective that we're helped with in the book of Ecclesiastes, specifically here at the end of the book, as the author concludes his thoughts about life under the sun, is the perspective of the end of our lives. The particular perspective that the author wants us to see is the perspective from the end of our lives. Death is certain, therefore life is for living. He says, there's a God who made everything. There's a God who made everything, who rules over the wicked and the righteous. This God, he has said, has put eternity in our hearts so that we would be unsatisfied with the things of this world. And we are called to live in light of the reality that we will die and eternity awaits us. You see, particularly when we're young, we tend to view our lives as sort of an upward climb to the top, right? We view our lives as heading in this upward direction. After all, we're told all of our lives, you have the rest of your life ahead of you. But Ecclesiastes asks us to reverse that perspective. The preacher calls us to view our lives from the end. Indeed, he calls upon us to live life backwards. 
In fact, I was very tempted to title this entire series on Ecclesiastes that, Living Life Backwards. Live life from the perspective of old age and certain death and eternity. He's calling us to flip our perspective. Instead of seeing this upward trend of our life that just keeps rising throughout our lives until the end, He calls us to see this downward spiral of our lives from from the, the opposite perspective, from backwards. And this is the wise perspective that Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 helps to build into our lives, to correct our current perspective. And so let's consider... What the preacher says under three perspectives that he wants us to build into our lives. That he wants us to have about the rest of our life. He commends these perspectives as the way to live wisely in this life under the sun. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Number one, the perspective of our ignorance. He calls us to live in light of the perspective that we are ignorant You see, wise people are people who know just how ignorant they are. We tend to think of wise people as the ones who know more than anyone else. But the Bible says, no, the wise person is the person who knows just how much he doesn't know. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, the preacher uses a series of proverbial statements to urge us to not let our ignorance keep us from living well and taking risk in this life under the sun. Now, verses 1 and 2 are notoriously difficult to interpret. What in the world does Solomon mean by casting bread upon the waters and giving a portion to seven or eight? Let me try to describe two main interpretations of how this has been understood, and I'll show you how it doesn't really matter which one of these perspectives you take. The first possible way to understand these instructions is to view them as a call to generosity and to giving to the poor. So this view sees the metaphor of casting bread upon the waters as a metaphor for providing something to eat for the poor. And the promise at the end of verse 1 is the promise that our generosity would be rewarded. Verse 2 is seen as a call to give lavishly not just sparingly. So he says, give to seven or eight. So if seven's the number of completion, giving seven or eight would mean to give above and beyond. In other words, give until it hurts. Better to give your goods away, he says, than to have them swept away in a disaster. That view could certainly be supported from other places in Scripture that call us to be cheerful and lavish and sacrificial givers. But another perspective on these verses sees them as just sort of common sense instructions on investments in this life of uncertainty. So some scholars point out that the metaphor of casting your bread upon the waters was used to refer to the process of sending out commercial ships with goods on them in order to trade. In that day, commercial trading involving shipping goods to other lands was very lucrative However, it was also very risky, right? You might not see a return on your investment for literally years and years and years. You had no idea whether when you put your goods on that ship, whether somebody would steal it, whether it would get lost, whether that ship would be sunk. And so this second view would see verse 2 as instruction to diversify your investments so as to not put all your eggs in one basket, we would say. 
If you divide your investments among seven or eight routes, you would be less likely to lose everything and to get a more sure return on your investment. Now, whichever way Solomon meant these metaphors, the main point remains the same. The preacher isn't here giving investment advice to help you grow your portfolio in the stock market. That's not the point. The point is that we are totally ignorant of what is going to happen. We are totally ignorant of the future. See, if these verses refer to generosity, the point is that generosity makes sense in a world that is so uncertain where you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if these verses just sort of restate common wisdom about diversification, the point is that we don't know what disaster will come tomorrow. And just in case we don't catch that as the main point in these sort of obscure metaphors, notice the preacher mentions our ignorance three more times in these verses. Twice in verse 5 and once in verse 6. He says, you don't know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb. You don't know the work of God who makes everything. In verse 6, you don't know if your seed will prosper. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. All right, we get it, Solomon. We're ignorant of the past, of the present, and of the future. And if those clear statements of our ignorance isn't enough, notice he gives some examples that show us just how ignorant we are. Verse 3 says, we don't control the rainfall. And we don't know or control where the tree falls in the forest. I recently learned that chapter 11 verse 3 is the very verse that God used to awaken the faith of R.C. Sproul. He said that he was probably the only person in history to attribute Ecclesiastes 11.3 to his salvation. God used this reality of just how ignorant we are and just how sovereign he is to humble R.C. Sproul where he was was he was able to see that Jesus is worthy to be trusted. I pray that God would do that even among us this morning. May God awaken that, that faith in, in someone here today as we contemplate our ignorance and God's absolute sovereignty. Well, verse, one, I mean, verse 4, the preacher reminds us how, how our ignorance could cause us to sort of be, be in fear and scared to do anything. A man needs to plant some seeds, but he's afraid to do so because right, the wind is, is too great right now to do so. The clouds don't quite look right, and so he's going to wait for a better time. And his ignorance of the future causes him to be indecisive, causes him to be inactive. Verse 6, again, underscores this reality. You don't know the best time to sow the seed, whether in the morning or whether in the evening, so just sow it in faith that God is sovereign. Don't let your ignorance keep you from risking and giving and sowing. God gives the increase, but He calls us to plant and He calls us to water and He calls us to labor. Don't be paralyzed by your own ignorance. Verse 5 puts an exclamation point on this point. We can't see how a child is formed in the womb of a woman. And we weren't there when God created the heavens and the earth. Even in our day of technology, where we can see inside a womb, we still don't know how God takes the cells and forms a human life and does it again and again and again and again. These things are mysterious to us. We are ignorant of them. You don't know when disaster will strike. You don't know when the rain will come. 
You don't see all the trees in the forest that fall. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know how the child's created. You don't know if your seed will be successful. And you don't know a kajillion other things that only God knows. The preacher's counsel to us is to not let that ignorance fuel Not to let it keep us from risking and being generous and and laboring in this life. Instead of being paralyzed by that ignorance, instead of being inactive because of our ignorance, he calls us to sow and give and cast your bread and give a portion to seven or eight. Let that ignorance, let the fact that you don't know what's going to happen fuel your generosity and fuel your labor in this life. See, when we live from the perspective of our ignorance, we're free to love well and give generously and rejoice in the small things and labor hard for the glory of God. Uncertainty and ignorance should make us more generous, not less. It should make us more bold, not less. And so share the gospel widely. Cast your seed widely, leaving the results to God. Give money cheerfully, expecting a good reward for your harvest. Cast yourself into all manner of good works with this calm confidence that God is sovereign and He is good and I don't have to know everything there is to know. The preacher says, live from this perspective. Wise living is living out of the perspective that we don't have all the answers and we never will. Live out of your ignorance. And let that uncertainty, let that ignorance fuel you to do all that God has called you to do. The second perspective that he seeks to build into our lives, number two, is the perspective of old age. The perspective of old age. And so the bulk of this passage aims to build this perspective in us. Chapter 11, verse 7 to chapter 12, verse 8 mainly reinforces the theme of Ecclesiastes that we should enjoy life while we can. Enjoy life, and here's the emphasis of this passage, while we can. Specifically, the preacher counsels us to allow the process of aging to give us wisdom to rejoice in our youth. And so here the preacher gives at least two admonitions to us regarding this perspective that we're to have. And these admonitions are specifically given to young people, however we define young in our day and age. However, even though these are specifically addressed to the young, I think there's massive wisdom here for older saints as well. But this wisdom is particularly directed, particularly applicable to young people, Because the young have more time to apply and benefit from this wisdom. And so young people, listen up. Listen listen up. God is addressing you in His Word. Your Creator speaks to you. And here's what He says. Two admonitions about this perspective of old age. Number one, rejoice in the sweetness of life and youth. How do you build a perspective that lives out of the reality that we are aging and old age is coming, will rejoice, he says, in the sweetness of life and youth. Notice the simple counsel of verse 7. He says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I love this counsel because it doesn't cost anything to enjoy the sun. 
The sun was there long before we got here, and it will be there, God willing, long after we're gone. Right? There's something healing about just letting the sun shine on your face, especially after a storm or a, a long winter. Every day that we can see the sun should be counted as a sweet and pleasant gift from our Creator. If you are alive, if you can see the sun, you have reason to rejoice and to thank God for it. Each and every day you can feel the warm sun on your face. You should thank God and you should rejoice. You see, friends, as we age, it's easy to become jaded and hardened and grumpy. Right? Over time, life has a way of crushing our dreams. Aging can make us pessimistic. And so the preacher says, while we can, before our hearts are hardened, we should rejoice in the pleasantness of the sweet light that God has given to us all. Look at verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be, will be many. All that comes is vanity. The preacher says, enjoy every good gift as long as you have it. No matter how many years God gives, rejoice in them all. This is a good word to both young and old today. Whether you are on year 81 or year 18, rejoice in the year you are in. Days are coming when aging and death will start taking the good things away from us. The days of darkness will be many and everything is fleeting, he says. Therefore, rejoice in your days because you know at some point you won't have them. At some point you won't be able to enjoy them. So enjoy them while you have them. Notice verse 9 says the same thing. He says, enjoy the boundless energy of youth. Enjoy the things you can do while you are strong. But enjoy them knowing that God will judge our lives. Don't follow your heart into sin, but follow the ways of your God who is the judge. So this is what makes the Council of Ecclesiastes different from the seize the day or YOLO of the world. YOLO, you only live once. The world says, YOLO, life is short. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever you want to do. And the preacher says, no, life is short and God will judge. And so enjoy your days rejoicing in your God. Notice the counsel of verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So he says if we're going to rejoice in our youth, it only makes sense to remove those things that bring anxiety and vexation and pain into our lives. If the call is to rejoice all our days while we have them, then we can't willfully stay in situations that bring vexation and pain. Of course, we can't remove every source of vexation. We are not sovereign. We are not all-powerful. But if we can, we should. We aren't called to live with just sort of a grin and bear it kind of mentality. No, we're called to rejoice hard in the days of our youth. Youthfulness doesn't last forever. So make the most of it while you have it. Dark days are coming, he says. And that leads to the second admonition about this perspective of old age. 
He says, live out of the perspective of old age. And he says, first, rejoice in the sweetness of life and youth. And he says, secondly, remember your Creator before the difficult days come. Remember your Creator before the difficult days come. So the first part of chapter 12 is a really beautiful point. Now, I think up until these last few weeks, I viewed verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12 as just sort of not very significant. I think I viewed it as more of like just a a bridge or transition to the epilogue that we're going to see next week. But these past few weeks, I've seen just how precious this point is. So still speaking primarily to young people, the preacher says to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Now, why do you think he specifically says to remember your Creator? Like, why not say remember God? Why not say remember your Father? Why specifically remember your Creator? Well, I can't be totally sure, but because he's about to paint a sobering picture of what happens to our aging bodies, I think he's saying here, think of God as the one who created your body. The energy you have, the strength you have, the clear mind you have, is all a gift from God. God is the creator and giver of your youthfulness, of your energy, of your strength, of the clarity of your mind. He created you, and therefore you are His. Remember that, he says. Don't forget your creator and your youthful days when it's easy to trust in yourself. In the days when it's easy to trust in the fact that you worked out or you jog or you you lift weights, that's why I'm so strong. Or because I eat right and because I take these supplements, that's why I'm strong. Or because I read and because I study and because I go to school, that's why I have such a sharp mind. He says, no, no, remember the one who created you. Remember the one who made you and fashioned you the way that you are. Because dark and evil days are coming that are going to show you how fleeting your youth really is. Because dark days are coming that are going to rob you of your strength, that are going to rob you of your mental capacity, that are going to rob you of your energy. And so notice this this poetic description of this storm that he gives, starting in verse 2. That's the point of this poetic description of this storm that causes upheaval to the whole house. Verses 2 through 7. The preacher is painting this picture of old age as a storm that has gathered, that is about to wreak havoc on everything in our lives. Now, there are multiple ways to interpret this poetic section of Ecclesiastes. We can't be dogmatic and for sure about what these things represent, but I see these as a description of what aging does to our bodies. The house that is trembling here It's because because of the various parts of our bodies that begin to buckle under old age as it comes upon us. This whole house is trembling because of the effects of aging. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 3, the keepers of the house represent our hands and our arms that begin to tremble and shake in old age. In verse 3, the strong men represent our legs that are now bent and struggle to hold us up in old age. In verse 3, the grinders that are few 
represent our teeth that decay and fall out in old age. In verse 3, the dimmed windows represent the fading of mental capacity, the failure of our memories, and the fog that plagues our minds as we age. Anyone resonating with this metaphor yet? There's more. In verse 4, the doors may represent our ears that are shut with lack of hearing which causes the sound of our teeth to be low. In other words, we can't even hear something that is right next to our ears. However, in a sad irony, verse 4 also says that we rise at the sound of a bird, which may represent how older people have trouble sleeping and wake at the slightest noise. During the day, we have trouble hearing anything, but we sleep so lightly that the birds wake us up. In verse 4, the daughters of song that are brought low may refer to the voice that once belted out beautiful songs, but now can barely mumble anything intelligible. In verse 5, the almond tree blossoming may represent the white hair of the elderly. In verse 5, the dragging of the grasshopper represents the difficulty that we have as we age and just getting around. We were once so fast, we were once so spry, and now we just limp along. In verse 5, the phrase, and desire fails, probably refers to the loss of sexual desire in old age, something Solomon himself discovered as he aged. Well, toward the end of verse 5, and into verses 6 and 7, the preacher gives metaphors for funeral and death itself. After old age comes the grave. The mourners have gathered in the streets. These images of a silver cord being snapped, a golden bowl broken, communicate just how precious life is and how painful it is when someone dies. It's like a silver cord being cut. It's like a golden bowl being broken on the ground. And Solomon ends this section by reminding us that we're all dust and we will return to the dust. We all die and we will return to the ground from which we were created. Indeed, all is vanity, says the preacher. All is fleeting. And he includes verse 8 as an inclusio to chapter 1, verse 2, where he started this whole book by saying all is vanity. All is vanity. And he ends this section on aging and death by saying all is vanity. All is fleeting. Therefore, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the dark days come, before the storm gathers and shakes your house to its foundation, remember your God. View your life and your youth through the lens of the fact that you will age, your body will tremble, and you will die. Enjoy your Creator while you still have life. One commentator I read quoted someone who said, youth is wasted on the young. In other words, when we're young, we tend not to appreciate what we have. Right? It's only wisdom that comes with aging that could appreciate the blessings of having youth and youthfulness. Charles Bridges, 
has been one of my favorite commentators on the book of Ecclesiastes as we've made our way through this series. He said this about this admonition to remember our creator in the days of our youth. He said, many have remembered too late, but none have remembered too soon. Many have remembered too late, but none have remembered too soon. It is never too soon, never too soon to put your Creator at the center of your life and worship Him as your greatest treasure. Do that before you face the dark days we will all face sooner or later. The perspective of old age is meant to instruct us to rejoice in the days we have and remember our Creator before the days are gone. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you a question. We're really glad you're here. You're welcome here. But what's your answer to the fact that your body will fail and you will die? Like, what do you do with that certainty? Like, how do you handle this reality? Do you just put it out of your mind as if you'll deal with it some other day? Well, the Bible's counsel is to let this reality Drive us to cling to our Creator. Because only God has the ultimate answer to aging and pain and death and eternity. And that answer is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sinners. You see, in Jesus, we have the hope of something beyond old age and death. We have the hope of eternal life with God. We have the hope that our bodies will be resurrected and made new and perfect. And that hope, the hope of the gospel, is what fuels us to rejoice in our youth and remember our Creator in this life. And that's the final perspective I want to just briefly show you in this passage. Number three, the perspective of eternity. Live your life from the perspective of your ignorance, Live your life from the perspective of old age, but also live your life from the perspective of eternity. Now, I'm only going to briefly touch on this point because next week in the epilogue, this is going to be one of the main points, the judgment that comes after death. But notice that this is clearly the perspective that the preacher wants us to have as we consider our decaying bodies. Notice in chapter 11, verse 9, he says that God will bring us into judgment. In other words, there's something after death. There's something after aging. And that's judgment. And in chapter 12, verse 7, he says that after death, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, man is going to his eternal home. In chapter 12, verse 5. So God gave us a spirit, a soul, and one day that spirit will return to its Creator. After death, there will be a reckoning with God, he says. And the preacher calls us to live in light of this reality. Life under the sun is not the end of our existence. Yes, we will age and we will die, but after that, eternity awaits. We are to live today in light of that reality. And so the preacher says, rejoice in your youth. Remember your Creator because we are ignorant because life is short and aging will rob us of many joys. And because eternity awaits. Let me conclude this sermon with four sort of concluding thoughts to try to summarize uh, 
and apply what God has said to us in this passage. Four concluding thoughts. Number one, youth is fleeting. Youth is fleeting. We can't be reminded of this often enough, that none of us are getting any younger. The curious case of Benjamin Button is not real. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Every breath we take is one breath closer to eternity. And this perspective ought to massively impact the way you live. It, it ought not cause depression and discouragement in us as we consider what's to come. It ought to, consider, it, it ought to cause rejoicing and remembering in the moment. So young people, my encouragement to you is live life backwards. Live life backwards, meaning live your life through the lens of your certain aging and death and let that propel you to remember and rejoice and risk with passion today. Don't waste your best years on God dishonoring passions. Don't let another day pass without rejoicing in and remembering your Creator. Youth is fleeting. Secondly, life is for joy. Life is for joy. We've seen this over and over in Ecclesiastes, and I want to hit it this one last time. At least seven or eight times, the preacher in Ecclesiastes stops to tell us what life is for, what it's about, why we exist, and it is to enjoy our Creator. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Our God desires for us to have joy and to enjoy the pleasantness of the life He has given us. All of these good things we can enjoy in this life has been, have been purchased by Jesus and He's given us these good things so that we would glorify and honor and praise Him in our joy. Older people, here's a reminder for us. We can't de-age. We can't go back and, and enjoy what once was. We have to enjoy the days as they come. And so wherever we find ourselves, with whatever experiences, rejoice now. Don't let this vain life steal your joy. Determine not to be a curmudgeon as you grow older. Determine not to let the wasting away of your outer self rob you of your joy in your Creator. In Jesus, we are free from fear of worry about aging and death. We are free so that we can rejoice hard, so that we can be the most joyful people on this planet. Number three, the community of the church is so valuable. The community of the church is so valuable. So this passage is proof that I could preach on church membership from any passage in the Bible. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, kind of. But think about what this passage implies about the benefit of having both older and younger people in community together. This is what the church is, friends. Like a church would be very weak if it was only 20-somethings or only 80-somethings. Like God has designed His church to be intentionally multi-generational. Like we need each other. Younger people, you need older people in your life to remind you to enjoy life now. Older people, you need younger people in your life to remind you to enjoy life now. So, younger people, my encouragement to you would be to find some older saints and ask them a lot of questions and a lot of advice 
on marriage and parenting and following Jesus in difficult days. Get some advice from them. They've lived through these things. They've experienced them. They can help you. Older people, my encouragement to you would be to cut some slack to the younger saints. Like, it took you a lot of years. It took you a lot of decades and a lot of mistakes to learn and to gain the wisdom that you have today. Be willing to share that wisdom, yes, but also be willing to extend a lot of grace as others make mistakes and learn from them. Fourth and finally, God is to be central in everything. God is to be central in everything is the point of this passage. I think this is the main instruction that the preacher is giving us here. Remember your creator means remember and worship God as central in your life. Don't forget to put God at the center. We are not to wait for the perfect time to put God at the center. Like we fool ourselves into thinking that. Like, oh, one day it will be just perfect where then I can put God at the center of my life. But right now I've got all these other pressures and things that I need to focus on. No, today is the day. This season of life. Whether you're young, whether you're old, this season of life is the perfect time for you to submit to Jesus as your king and as your greatest treasure. This life under the sun is hard. There are many things that are going to pull you to, to put something else at the center, mainly your own selfish desires. But I urge you, God is to be central in everything in your life, in youth, in aging, in death, in it all. Put God at the center. Many have remembered too late, but none have remembered too soon. Remember your creator. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I pray for sanctified remembering that you would help us 